The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So we remain standing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us, not just into worship, but into a meal with you. We thank you for the intimacy of our fellowship and our communion that we share in your body and blood as we share in bread and wine. And that by doing so, we are brought together in you and with one, in one another as your body here on earth. We thank you for this gift, for this grace, for this mystery. We ask that you would continue to help us understand it for the glory of your name. Amen. Please be seated. So there's not going to be a proper sermon this morning. If you've come in since my last little meditation, you're going to be very confused, and I apologize. Uh, we're taking a few minutes out during different parts of the service to explain why we're doing what we're doing this morning. And I do want to take a few minutes during this time right now, which is when we would normally have a sermon, to continue my explanation of what we're doing when we worship together. So this is an Anglican church. And at the heart of Anglicanism is a rich tradition of worship that stretches back through the centuries to the Reformation and then beyond. The way that we worship is important, and it's worth understanding why. So earlier, you might have caught this. I referred to our service of worship as a drama. I did that intentionally. So plays or dramas, they tell stories. They have a narrative structure that leads to a climax. And when you participate as an actor in a play, you participate in the telling and the retelling night after night of that story. The same sort of thing happens when we gather for worship. When we come together on Sunday morning, we join in a liturgy. That word liturgy comes from the Greek word liturgos, which loosely means a work of the people a work of the people. It's a term that you will often hear to describe the set forms that we use for worshiping together. Now the liturgy, it's not just a collection of elegantly written prayers. It actually tells a story. It tells the story of God's gracious love for his people that comes to a climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we tell this story in worship, we aren't merely acting. We're not merely acting, even though many of our lines are scripted, they're printed in the bulletin, and we have stage directions here, like sitting, kneeling, and standing. These are prescribed, but we aren't acting. We're actually living the story that we're telling together, receiving God's gracious love and praising Him in return. So take a look at your bulletins with me. What I want to do is I want to show you how the drama of worship progresses through five acts of varying lengths, uh, a lot like a Shakespearean play. So when we gather for 
a service of Holy Communion on Sunday mornings. Our worship begins with a hymn or a song of praise. That's followed by a prayer and another ancient song called the Gloria. We then pray again and we read several passages from Scripture. This first section of our service leads up to the sermon. And the sermon seeks to explain the meaning and the significance of one of the passages that we have read from Scripture. So the, the central concern of this long first sequence is to put us into the presence of God as He reveals Himself to us, as He reveals Himself to us. The hymn and the Gloria in particular speak to us of God's might, of His heavenly reign, and Scripture speaks to us of God's own words as He reveals Himself to the people of Israel in the Old Testament and then to the whole world in the Gospels and the New Testament. So throughout the whole first part of this service, we are being led to a place of awe and praise in the presence of God as He reveals Himself to us. So that's Act 1, Revelation. As the sermon ends, we join together in the creed and in prayer as a way of responding to God's revelation. And as we do, we are naturally led to confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you. You see, in the face of God's holiness, in the face of his self-revelation, of his gracious love, we can't help but confess and repent. And that's act two. God's revelation in act one leads to our repentance in act two. Once we've gone to our knees and confessed our sins, one of the clergy stands and declares the assurance of God's forgiveness because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. The priest is not the one doing the forgiving. It's God who does that. Our role up here is to communicate that forgiveness and to give you assurance. Now, have you ever wondered why we share the peace at this point? For some of us, this passing of the peace feels like a slightly awkward way of being forced to talk to the people around you. Uh, or it comes across as a bit of stage directing that's a really good transition out of prayer into the announcements in preparation for communion. There's a little truth to that. But what's happening at this point in the service is actually quite important. When I say the peace of the Lord be always with you, I'm making a statement about our relationship with God. Because we have confessed our sins and been forgiven by God, we are now at peace with Him. The terror with which the service began as we admitted that God knows our hearts has been calmed and replaced by peace because we know that we have been restored. But that's not all. When I say the peace of the Lord be always with you, I'm not just making a statement of fact about our relationship with God. I'm also issuing a kind of challenge, a challenge for you to make peace with and be restored to those around you. So we stop to share the peace before we share in Christ's body and blood for a reason. We can't come to this table and be united to Christ if we aren't at peace with each other. So we take a moment to hug, to kiss, to shake hands, 
and, if necessary, to seek out those that we may have offended or sinned against in order to confess, to make amends, to seek peace. Now, sometimes it's the folks who were in the car with you on the way to church that you need to make peace with. There's a reason I drive here early separate from my family. <laughs> Sunday mornings are rough. That's Act 3. So the revelation of God in Act 1 leads to our repentance in Act 2 and our restoration to God and one another in Act 3. Now, those of you who remember struggling through Shakespeare in high school, you will remember that the climax of a play usually occurs in Act 4. And the same is true in our service of Holy Communion, as God draws us into His presence and transforms us through the body and blood of His risen Son. The climax of our worship, it comes when we tell this story and when we share this meal. It's here that we are reminded of Christ's sacrifice, it's here when we eat the bread and drink the wine that we accept, that we receive the grace God offers us in Jesus, responding to Him in faith and trusting in the power of His death and resurrection for our salvation. It's here that we are united to Him and to one another. And I'll have just a little bit more to say about this later in the service before we celebrate communion. That's Act 4, communion. And that leads into Act 5. When we have finished sharing the body and blood of Jesus, we conclude with a prayer which is very creatively called the post-communion prayer. That's a prayer of thanks and it's a prayer of praise. It's also a prayer of commissioning. So we thank God for feeding us and including us as members of His family, for drawing us near and transforming us we then ask Him to send us out into the world to love and to serve Him. Worship sends us out with purpose. So each week when we gather, we take part in this drama of worship, participating in the story of God's self-giving love for us in Jesus Christ. God's revelation of Himself in Act 1 leads us to repentance in Act 2, he restores us through forgiveness in Act 3. And then as we share in Holy Communion in the climax of our worship in Act 4, He transforms us. And finally in Act 5, He commissions us for service in the world that Jesus died to save. That's the drama of our worship. It's an exciting thing to be a part of week in and week out. So every week, as a part of our response to God's revelation here at the end of Act 1, in the reading of Scripture and in the sermon, one of the things that we do is we stand to say the creed, and it's an affirmation of what we believe, and it's a corporate family commitment to God. So let's stand together and join in this affirmation of our faith as we say together the Nicene Creed. And I move here, we lead here, instead of up there, because this is something we're doing together. I am not instructing or teaching at this point. I am participating as a member of Christ's body. Let's affirm our faith together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 
eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we continue to respond to God's revelation to us, let us join together, kneeling if you're able, as we pray.